Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power rewatch uh, and companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And today we've got a sort of adventurous romp of an episode in Season 1, Episode 9, No Princess Left Behind, which I guess you could sort of count as a part two to Princess Prom. Um, Not a whole lot of episodes in this show are direct lead-ons from other episodes, if they are not two-parters, I don't think. No, yeah. This is this is one of the few uh, multi-part episodes, and it's got kind of like a laser focus to it. It's all about resolving plot points. Yeah, this is a very much forward motion uh, episode. There's not there. There's some character work in here, and it's all, it's a very fun and breezy episode. But this one might end up a little bit shorter than a lot of other episodes because it, it's simply more of a of an action set piece episode than it is a a character drama episode for sure yeah not a lot of room for like analysis and and interpretations just a lot of punching and a lot of a lot of plot resolution but still very fun a lot of jokes too don't forget the jokes oh we'll get to the jokes the jokes are great the, there's there's some of the best jokes in season one in this in this episode actually yeah, this is a very funny episode until it's not. Um, the, uh, I, the the where this episode starts off is, of course, like right after Princess Prom. We start in the fright zone, right? Yeah, we start in the fright zone, and it's Katra um, talking to Shadow Weaver about how Shadow Weaver is uh, like completely inept by comparison. Like that she single-handedly did more damage to the rebellion than anyone else in horde history which is like absolutely true um and then immediately shadow weaver just takes credit for everything yeah hordak calls in and is like great work shadow weaver you got the sword and, and glimmer and everything and she's like thank you hordak it was all me yeah and katra is not happy she's just like uh excuse me i do all of that work while you give me more than anyone else in the whole building and you get to take the credit and she's just like yep sucks done this that's how the world works now get out i've got a princess to torture yes i mean so yeah this is a glimmer is not having a fun time in this episode uh, at all she's locked in some kind of evil magic torture device and we gotta we gotta talk about a little bit about shadow weaver in this episode because this she's having a blast uh, this oh whole God. time she's having an absolute ball of a time she is like um this is i think maybe uh the most fun that we have seen her have in a while because of course she gets to showboat and do her big impressive shadow magic um for someone who's never seen any of it before has no idea who she is so she just gets to turn everything up to 11 and just be a theater kid about it we know that she loves the theatrics of it this is well known but this is like a a step beyond the pale for her where she is uh lorraine toussaint i believe that's how you would pronounce that uh is just like hamming it up to the maximum and like we've seen shadow weaver shadow weaver is a character who can have plenty of subtle moments and plenty of like real emotional moments but right now she's just a she's just like enjoying the limelight pretty much 
yeah, she's she's just having she's having a ball of it because it's just like she doesn't get a chance, I think, very often to feel like she is all powerful because you have right Katra for the most part doesn't really respect her um unless she like pulls out the i'm gonna kill you speech and even then it's not really a lot of respect um hordak absolutely doesn't respect her um we don't really see her interact with very many other people but you can assume being as high in command as she is that she probably has more people underneath of her and she's probably you know scared the bejesus out of most of them um, at some point, it's probably kind of old hat to them. So, you know. Got the you fresh know. meat, got to show off. Yeah, you got the gotta... fresh meat, you got to you gotta ham it up. And boy, howdy, she hams it up pretty well. Like, the delivery on some of those voice lines in particular is just so good. Like, the, the enunciations sharp enough to, like, cut through steel. I feel like they directed her just to say, like, all right, for this scene, I just want you to act like you're a villain in the original Shira. I just need you to be at full camp right now. Oh, and uh, she took that instruction to heart. She sounds like she sounds like somebody who like lists Shakespeareanly trained on her LinkedIn profile. Yeah, this is the the, uh, the 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 level of drama here is is off the wall. I I am fully expecting her to put on a production of Hamlet or something in the future with this sort of uh, energy going on here. Oh yeah, with her playing Hamlet. With her playing all the roles, her and all of her shadow spies, obviously. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she would just be she put on a one woman show. I'd pay to see it. I think most of us would pay to see it. That would be a very entertaining show. What do you think her favorite Shakespeare play is? Is it Hamlet? Ah, uh, or... I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't, I haven't seen many Shakespeare plays, but I feel like Hamlet. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, like, uh, there's a lot of drama in that one. I feel like she'd have a ball with it. Right. It was, it was like I was thinking. I was like, well, it might be King Lear or something, because that one's a bit more tragic than Hamlet. I think maybe it's Henry, uh, Henry V, because that one's about a villain. That's true. There you go. Henry, Henry V. Let's, um... Yeah, I think it's that one. What What do you think uh, Shadow Weaver's favorite uh, Shakespearean play would be? Put it in the comments below. Indeed. <laughs> so, we, uh... I think we, we cut from the frights. Oh, Bo is in jail and talking to Kyle. It's not really that important. It's um, not, but Kyle is... Kyle is pretty funny. <laughs> He's very funny. We we do love him despite uh, how much of a how much of a failure he is. Yeah. Or maybe because of how much of a failure he is. We all love we all love a failure. So I think the uh, the sort of setup for this episode happens after that sort of cold open where we see Adora and Angela talking in the war room. Um, and Angela's the, the not having of... a fun time with it. Yeah, the gravity of the situation is is he- uh, weighing pretty heavily on her in this in this scene, uh, and Adora, for that matter. She's trying to put on a brave face, but as soon as she uh, steps outside of the war room, she just falls apart. Yeah, she's like, I mean, you you gotta imagine, right? Like, she blames herself entirely for this, right? Like, you know, oh, 100%. she 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 loses her husband, 
and now she's maybe gonna lose her daughter and also the entire war um and she's just like well you know what choice do i have like i think i think angela knows full well that even if she takes this deal that she's probably not getting out of it but like again she just doesn't have a choice she's just like if i don't do anything then you know i I'll, my entire family will be completely wiped out you know she doesn't really have an option yeah i mean angela has sort of been in the background in a lot of this season but you know waging a war like this certainly weighs heavily on someone and when your only daughter is held hostage by you know the horde i mean what are you supposed to do except accept their terms yeah that's that's the thing about it right it's just like it's uh they kind of have her dead to rights here but thankfully adora is uh quite committed to uh solving the problem she has no idea how she's gonna do it but she's gonna do it um well luckily uh she walks outside into the hallway to have a little cry but before she can she she is greeted by the members of the princess alliance and we just sort of launch into this uh planning slash you know showing what is happening sequence it sort of intercuts between the plan and what's happening here and she assigns everyone their own little token uh for some reason glimmer has a comb that looks exactly like a mustache for seahawks so you know that's nice yeah it's very convenient for him really um and 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 at that point we just sort of move right into the the fright zone uh espionage here you know we place some metal gear for a little bit Yes, my, uh, uh, my, my personal favorite. And what we get is, um, maybe, maybe the worst possible scenario from Remista. Yeah. Like... So the, uh, the plans here, everyone has their own thing, what they're going to do. The Perfuma and Entrapta are going to like kill the security system. Uh, Seahawk and Adora are going to take out the guards and sneak in. And Mermista, well, what about Mermista? Well, well, Mermista's job is to get inside the building and open the door from the inside. Um, through the sewers. Through the sewers. She's not happy about it. Um, I wouldn't be. Um, it doesn't go that well. She does get the door yeah. open, but she doesn't have a good time of it. Um. Yeah, it turns out the Fright Zone sewers are like a nightmare realm, because she gets in there, she gets immediately dumped on by the pipes, and then some kind of fan turns on and starts sucking her in. It's just a it's just a nightmare for the poor girl. Yeah, it's just a bad, bad, bad time, and um, frankly, she should never let them hear the end of it. Like, this is a situation she's going to be talking about for the rest of her life. Like, anytime anyone's like, hey... Mermista, can you do me a favor? She's gonna be like, "Hey, remember the time I went to a sewer for you?" Yeah, there's she Glimmer gets... can't ask her to do anything anymore. Yeah, like... she's got a permanent get out of jail free card for anything anyone can ask her to do. I would never be able to take enough showers to wash off the memory of being in that sewer. <sighs> God, um, but she's not the only one who has an interesting time of it. Um, Perfuma and Entrapta are. Uh, not exactly gelling, I would say. Entrapta is difficult to work with, let's say. Mm, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> she's um, she's a little easily distracted. 
I mean, she's in the fright zone. Can you, can you blame her? There's so much technology surrounding her all over the place. Like, how can you not just sort of go zip around and, and collect data on everything? Frankly, she's remarkably focused, if anything, with, with how much uh, stuff she can go and look at. She, she stays fairly on mission. That's true. I, you know, you got to give her some credit here. She is doing, she is doing a pretty decent job, um, trying to, uh, to stay focused, but every now and again, a little robot's going to crawl by and she's going to have to go say hello to it because I mean, can you blame her? It's a cute little robot. You have to say hi to it. Or a big robot. Or a big robot. We're going to talk about when she sees the big robot who eventually becomes Emily. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that scene is very funny to me because um, the way Entrapta reacts to the appearance of Emily is not a fear reaction. No, it's it's really, really not. It's extremely um, not a fear reaction. She is, she's a little bit excited about finding the fun robot. She loves it. I mean, she... She reprograms it pretty quickly and turn, turns turns it into a friend. Um, but yeah, that response that was not that's definitely not a fear response. No, not at all. Um, I mean, we've seen from her in the past that she has, even when she's in a perilous situation, she will still maintain her her sense of wonder and scientific fascination. That's true. That's true. She's even. Even in uh, even the most dire circumstances, fear is not an emotion that she is very well in tune with. No, not at all. Um, and finally, we have Adora and Seahawk who are trying to take down these guards to get into this door. Yes. Um, goes all right. Seahawk almost blows it immediately. Um, but, you know, it's all right. Adora is there to, to pick up the slack. Yeah, and, and they're both decent fighters. You know, they get through it pretty quickly. However, unfortunately, um, Scorpio shows up. Fortunately, she rolls a one on her perception check because Seahawk tells the worst lie of all time. Yes, um, the inspector thing actually worked. Um, and Seahawk just kind of gets scooped up and put on a skiff and they ride off to go inspect things. And I a... think the uh, the writers know <laughs> that these two characters are extremely funny together. Yes, they're really good. They play off each other very well. Um, and of course, Adora's just left there like, what just happened? We had a plan. We, we had a plan. We did like a little tactical meeting. How could this have gone so wrong? And everyone's just like, well, we did our best. <laughs> I mean, they got the door open. They got in. That's true. They're, they're inside the building. And at this point, only a few people know about it, um, which is uh, which is very impressive, considering how many people are going to know about it in about five minutes. Yeah. So they they basically just run through this base. Um, they, they get split up a little bit again. This is where Entrapta meets Emily, actually. Mm-hmm. And they just... You know, they they all converge on the prison where Bo is being held. Yes, Bo Bo is being held, and um, 
he's he's sort of also the captive audience for Kyle, which is very funny. Kyle's just kind of venting to him, and he's like, well, I don't really have a choice but to listen to you, but sure, I'll take advantage of it. It's a fantastic moment for Bo, who is the, the friendliest guy on the face of the planet you'll ever meet, but, like, even his hospitality has limits. Yeah, he, um... He is very nice, but... He only has so much patience. And if there's one thing Kyle's good at, it's testing people's patience. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, they, they eventually get into the prison, which I, I love the, you know, I love a big prison silo, a big silo-shaped prison. Yeah, the, the classic the panopticon shape. Um, and so they, they, they decide, they, you know, they're trying to go get Bo um with entrapta at the controls and we get a very fun action set piece with the bridges on the prison just sort of going up and down up and down while they're fighting off horde soldiers and adora has a brief uh clash with lonnie which like we know how catra feels about adora leaving at this point very clearly but uh, we forget that like oh yeah the other three were her were her friends too so they must also feel like betrayed and abandoned as well no yeah exactly like they they have their own emotions about it and um lonnie is kind of the one who gets to represent that like she is a little bit resentful um you can imagine of adora being back here i mean she literally just like you can't just come back you can't just come back after the things that you've done and uh you know can can you necessarily blame her? I mean, from her perspective, it seems pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, Adora is the the biggest traitor in the world, really, uh, to her. Yeah. Um. While they're actually a little bit before they do this, I believe we we uh, we finally see Scorpio realize that Seahawk is not the inspector. Yes. He never said where he was from or what he was inspecting. He was just here to inspect everything, sort of. Um, but she remembers, oh, right, I saw you at the ball. Um, and she's going to get ready to pummel him and, and turn him into a sort of uh, vaguely Seahawk-shaped pile of meat. Um, when the screen next to Seahawk comes up and says, duck. Yes. Now. <laughs> now. now um... So I have questions about, do, do, they got, do they got ducks in the fright zone? That is an excellent question. You know what? Maybe they don't, and that's why Scorpio is so excited, because they're a rarity. That's true. They only show up every once in a while, maybe. And uh, Scorpio is just so excited at the idea of seeing a duck that... um, She gets obliterated by a crane hook piloted by Entrapta. Yes. She gets completely yeeted out of there. uh, Just gone. One of our two very good yeets of the episode actually yeah there's some good ones uh in in this episode and then, like a lot of good action here yes um the uh like everyone sort of gets to the fight you know lonnie fights with adora perfume and seahawk on this platform and rogelio gets to, to fight with uh mermista and entrapta who do some cool team moves yeah there's like some there's some cool cool team action um, and Trapta, for some reason, like, starts laughing really hard as soon as Rogelio just, like, tail whips them, which is really funny. 
Yeah, she's just excited to be in a fight, I guess. Um, you know, like we said, she's sort of bad at understanding which situations uh, to express a fear response and which not to. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, Rahelio's a funny guy. He is a funny guy. Jokes. You know, you gotta give him that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, we, we're, we're not really saying much here. That's because, it's, yeah, it's just punches and action and, and high adventure. Uh, with some sort of good bits of, of humor, like when they finally get to Bo's cell, uh, <laughs> where <laughs> where he has been distracting Kyle this whole time. Um, oh, we should. <laughs> there's all right. So there's some faces in this episode. There's some faces in this episode, and they are uh, just really, really exquisite faces. Like Bo, <sighs> Bo makes a couple faces when. Um, when he's distracting Kyle while the elevator fight's going on, that um, Nero, you described specifically as basically looking like a YouTube rant Sona. He looks like that Saber Spark guy or something. Like he's gonna talk to me about some North Korean furry movie or something. Like God, he looks like he 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 looks exactly like that. Like he just has the same energy or like. Like you said, some kind of Newgrounds animation. Yeah, like, a, yeah, a little bit. It's like, uh, the fa- the faces are really good. I love when they pull out the really exaggerated stuff. Yeah, like we said in the last episode, the uh, what the show extremely excels at is, is character animation and specifically, you know, facial animation. I mean, we get both sides of that. We get the, the great exaggerated faces, and we also get some more subtle facial work. Um when we when we get to Katra near the end of this episode, sort of looking at Adora when she's strapped to that table. Yeah, exactly. Like, like that's that's the thing, right? Is you get both sides of the coin here with with the uh, with the animation quality. Like you get, um, they know they know exactly when to um, pull out the really like over the top, really funny expressions, and also they know when to kind of hold back a little bit and give it more of a very subtle like teeny tiny change and uh, it works really well right like we you need to convey a lot just through Catra's like lingering look and and the sort of look of general it's even hard to tell what she's thinking is is it like is she dissatisfied with the way things are going is she thinking about busting in there and helping her out is she have is she like experiencing some kind of catharsis it's just not really like there's it's just a cloud of emotions in that little shot there it's a cloud of emotions that catcher herself is probably not even capable of like beginning to sort through no no absolutely not um but yeah so seahawk uh rescues bow in a just a fantastic sequence where he like tosses kyle over his shoulder like he's a uh sack of potatoes or something yeah, and he gets um, some serious hang time, by the way. Seahawk is not a particularly weak individual. He's got a lot of upper body strength. I mean, we see him carrying people and, like, doing big uh, rope swings and stuff all the time. So, assumedly, yeah, he's got to have, like, a really built upper body. Yeah. Seahawk is definitely shredded. Seahawk is shredded. He's got an eight-pack. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he punches the uh, door lock and strikes a sassy pose is the best way i can describe it i mean wouldn't you i would 
I mean, thank you, Seahawk, for being the way that you are. Yeah, he's he's he really gets the he really gets the theatrics in all of us. Yeah, I mean, we you know, there was a, sort of a lack of Seahawk in the Princess Prom episode. He was only there for one scene. And he was all right in it, but in this episode we get a lot of very good Seahawk moments. Yes. Um However, at this point, I think is where the sort of comedic, lighthearted, breezy, actiony tone of the episode starts to sort of wind down, and we get into the more dramatic stakes. Because when Bo tells Adora that Glimmer is being held in the Black Garnet chamber, she gets a very worried look on her face because she knows Shadow Weaver is doing something in there. Yeah, it's not exactly an ideal situation. Um, it's like she's really kind of lost as to what to do next because they can't just charge in there and go fight shadow weaver because she is just straight up too powerful like they just don't have the firepower to do that even if they had everybody together so, yeah so they're they're going to um she, she leads them to this like hallway of airlocks that the fright zone has for some reason yeah a hallway of airlocks that also shoots fire they you know it, it's never really explained what these things are for because they're airlocks that like once you exit the chamber that it purges itself with fire so assumedly it's some kind of disinfectant thing yeah it's like a sterilization thing but listen i mean the fright zone doesn't look particularly sterile so i'm not sure why they'd be too worried about that it's just to make it more complicated. Like, you know, obviously you want to introduce as much danger as possible into the lives of your fight. cadets so they're as prepared as possible um, for when their lives are being threatened. That's why um, inside every fourth nutritional ration bar is a small bomb, and they have to defuse it before they eat. Yeah, that sounds about right for Hordak. Um <laughs> Yeah, but of course Adora, she she tells them what to do. She tells them like you got you got to go through seven chambers. They purge themselves after the doors close, so you know, got to be on got to be on point. Uh, and then she says, "All right, I'll see you later. I'm going to go get Glimmer." And uh smashes the the thing and gives herself up. Yeah. Which you know, at that point it's like what do you do? Right? Like she at that point is like, "Well, I've kind of expended all of my options. I just need to get everybody out of here as much as po- like as fast as possible." and hope that you know bargaining myself can get glimmer out of here you know maybe i'm more important to them than she is so i mean it's not a bad bargaining chip it's not exactly ideal but i can see why she came to that conclusion yeah when she's brought into the garnet chamber she's like still reassuring glimmer in a very strong voice even while she's literally being strapped to some kind of torture table yeah, some sort of silver surfboard of spell. pain. Yeah, it's um, it's it's not looking great because uh, Glimmer is sort of trapped in this Tesla coil-looking thing that prevents her from teleporting or using any of her magic. Um, if she tries, it delivers an extremely painful like shock of dark magic or something. Yeah, you know what the thing is actually. That contraption is literally the Mr. Incredible contraption to keep him contained. Oh, it is. It is the, like, 
electricity uh, tethers. You're right. Yeah, it's the electricity tethers that hurt you if you try to escape them with your superpower. It's like, it is literally that. It's pretty good. Um, And so that's when Adora's like, listen, just let Glimmer go. I'll rejoin the horde. I'll do whatever you want. And Chad Weaver says, oh yeah, you will because I'm going to wipe your mind. Yeah, it's kind what? of a it's kind of a, a pretty big like okay moment. You can do that. It's like, hey, you can do you can do that. You can just you can just wipe her memories. Like memory manipulation is a sort of scary ability for someone like Shadow Weaver to have. Yeah, right. Like it almost makes me wonder like a little bit like Adora is Adora is, like, the most oblivious person in the entire horde. Like, everyone else except her she seems to know about everything that's going on um, and, like, is generally aware that the horde are the bad guys. Adora just had no clue, and it's making me wonder a little bit right now, like, did did she do this before? I have to imagine that she did, right? Like... Yeah, like, has she just been, like, men in black, like, flashy, oh, God. flashy thing to, like, to Adora? Like, every time that she walks into the wrong room and sees the battle plan, she's like, hey, wait a minute, this is a civilian village. She's like, well, back to the Black Garnet Chamber. It's, um, it's a concept to, intro- it's it's sort of like a third act, you know, like, peril, like, oh, the stakes are never higher, she's gonna wipe Adora's mind and she's gonna forget about everything, but, like it's this is a i mean it seems like she can do it pretty easily when she's all charged up like yeah there's a lot of implications in that particular reveal yeah like i i wonder if they even they must have thought about it it i guess i guess it's not really a spoiler to say that this memory altering stuff never really comes up again at all like no it it doesn't like and yeah, it's it's weird cuz another thing that's weird and but yeah, like I don't know, it's just it's a weird it's a weird power jump for um for Shadow Weaver. It's a very weird power jump and I'm like it's just it you know, it really makes you think that JPEG a little bit like um how much um power she's like not really revealed that she has like it's it's implied she's a very 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 strong and capable sorceress you know is is the thing here like how much how much does she actually have going on um that she can pull out like what is her entire repertoire it just seems like she can just pull anything out when she wants to like she's so knowledgeable and so willing to just sort of do anything regardless of taboos or like ethics well yeah ethics is not exactly her strong suit so i assume she can just like do as much really messed up dark magic as she wants like she just read the like do not 100 spells that you should under no circumstances perform and just wrote them all down and said thank you so thank you yes i will take it i will take all of it thank you very much um, but luckily, we don't really get to see if she uh, how how the memory wiping goes because 
while Shadow Weaver is doing this, Glimmer is just sort of we've I think we've discussed how Glimmer is a brute force kind of character, like maybe even more so than Adora. She is just extremely single minded and extremely like she's a magic using character. But all of her magic use is extremely physical and, like, she'll she'll punch people with magic punches. She'll, like, throw sparkle bombs at people. She's not like Shadow Weaver who uses, you know, uh, manipulating shadows and all this other stuff. She's extremely up in your grill. And so it's not all that surprising that she just, like, her course of action here is to say, oh, well, I'll just overwhelm this restraining device and then... Uh, sock Shadow Weaver in the jaw really hard. Yeah, and as it turns out, it works really well, actually. Um, she just kind of, through sheer force of will, escapes the escapes the saw trap that she's in and just bops Shadow Weaver directly in the mouth. Just really rocks, Knocks her, her, rocks her clock a little bit. And um, yeah, the thing, about, the thing about Glimmer is that like for me she's kind of the paladin character right like she is a caster but she is entirely in your face the entire time right like you'd think oh well the paladin obviously that's adora she can turn into the big magic warrior but adora is much more like tactically minded almost she's always the one making these these big elaborate battle plans glimmer isn't necessarily about any of that she just wants to get in the action and just mess people up yeah, honestly, I would say Adora is more of a tank than anything. Oh yeah, she can uh, she can take a lot of damage and also throw people very far, which is a good a uh, good skill to have, I think. Yeah, very good tank skill to have. Um, and and you know, she Glimmer just checks to make sure that Adora remembers her and uh, before they they uh, leave. Um, and while I think either after or during this sort of set of events, we we cut back to the rest of the squad. Uh, running through these airlocks, and um, in tra- uh, Emily gets stuck in one of the ports, and Entrapta goes back to get her uh, to unplug her from the port, and she we see the doors shut, and the flames turn on, and it appears that Entrapta is dead. Uh, yeah, no, like, like uh, when you look at that scene, actually, like. She looks completely dead, like really just roasted and toasted to pieces. Like the green yeah, we, fire we is just spilling out of every nook and cranny in the door. It just, yeah, she looks like she got immolated. Um, yeah, it looks like there's no shelter from those flames. They just completely fill the chamber from where you're looking at. Everyone is just completely shocked like they have no idea what to do. Yeah, they're just, they're in a complete state of shock. They haven't even... They don't even react to it right away. Like they only really start reacting to it once they're like escaping. But like, yeah, right now they are just in a complete state of disbelief. Uh, Adora and Glimmer are still running through the the uh, the fright zone here, trying to get out, being pursued. Uh, yeah, um, and... unfortunately, um, Shadow Weaver's um, electrolysis trap um, has disabled Glimmer's ability to teleport, so they're kind of having to hoof it um, through the rest of the complex. They come to a big blocked door, and of course, Adora can't just turn into She-Ra and smash the door open. But no. uh, um, but um, they, Catra uh, shows up. Yeah, Catra shows up, and she's got the sword, and she just very 
very intimidatingly and angrily is just marching toward them with like the sword of protection just kind of dragging across the wall like nails on a chalkboard and she points it at them and then flips it around and says take it and this is interesting this is yeah it's a very very interesting moment because you know Katra like makes it very clear she's like this isn't because I like you you know she's like I, I don't I don't like you I just want you to leave. Like, she just wants her um, to go away. Yeah, she's messing everything up with her presence. You know, she, earlier in the episode, actually, uh, when, when when Adora gets uh, captured, she uh, Catra yet again screams at Shadow Weaver about how she's choosing Adora over her again. Like, at the first opportunity she gets, she just casts Catra aside again so she can just get a freshly mind-wiped Adora back on her side. Yeah, like, like as soon as the possibility space of Adora being back into the fold happens, everything Catra's worked for for the entirety of Season 1 just goes out the window. Basically, like, she's back at square zero, and she's not prepared to go back there. And so she gives them the sword back, and, and they escape that way. Um, and I mean, like I said, Catra's uh, facial animation here is just fantastic. There is, it's hard to sort of, you, if you listening to this, this episode, you watch the episode, so you know how it's like. You can just see the conflict on her face. It's it's written into every uh, every line and every uh, strand of fur on her face. There. Yeah, like again, just they put so much character into it. They put so much effort into it, and they really, really let the they really carry the performance. Like um, something that I think. Um, and this is like I guess slightly like going into the technicals of it, but something I think that isn't necessarily appreciated a lot of the times is that um, uh, the voice actor um, provides I think half of the performance, but the other half of the performance um, comes from the the actual animator. And there is a really good quote actually from uh, Chuck Jones, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was more but it was more or less like. Um, you know, when you bring in an actor and you film an actor, right, and you have this, um, they come to you with a talent. You know, they come to you with an ability and they come to you with years of training and they can put um, all of those subtleties into the performance. Um, but a drawing is just a drawing. You have to put the character into the drawing. You have to inject that performance yourself. And they do a really, really phenomenal job with it in this show. Yeah, it's, I mean, there are, yeah, you're right. It's like ha- the, the, the voice acting, as is, is phenomenal as it is, is only half of the half of the equation here. The other half is the character animation. And, you know, there's, there's so many shows like that that can fall apart on one or the other end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also makes me think about, like, characters that don't have faces uh for some reason i was thinking about the the transformers prime uh version of soundwave who is this like spindly 
almost scarecrowish figure with no face who doesn't even talk. He has no voice. Uh, he only talks through uh, monotone echoes of other characters' voice lines. Um, and so for that character, everything about him has to come through through his animations. And I think, uh, despite Prime mostly being a fairly middling show, in my opinion, that version of Soundwave is a fantastic example of like imbuing a, imbuing a character's personality through just purely their design and the uh, sort of animation surrounding them. Yeah, I always love characters like that. Like, like that's really just when you get to have a field day um, in the animation department, you kind of just get to, to go nuts about it. Um, that's that's always my favorite kind of character. And I mean, the other part about him is that he is not... He's very slow and deliberate with everything, but it, it's all very, uh, very sort of characterful, a lot of his actions that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, back to She-Ra. After this, we get... You know, speaking of Chuck Jones, we get some pretty Looney Tunes uh, run cycles here at the end. Oh yeah, a little bit. To this boat. <sighs> it's like it's really funny. Like we just come off of like, hey, the animation of the show is amazing. Like look it at is. all of the subtlety of it, and it's like it and it is, it is. That has really good character animation, and early in this episode, we had some great action animation as well with the the bridge fight. I think there's a lot of really good moments there I, I i am specifically thinking of when rahelio gets blasted out of the uh the control tower and just sort of slams head first into lani that's a great yes that that actually had a lot of really good weight to it i love that shot but yeah the 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 weak part the weak part is the walk and the run cycles they just those are the bits that it kind of falls apart on and it's it's not egregious but no. it is really funny to watch sometimes. It's it's not even that they can't animate characters walking or anything. There are plenty of scenes where characters walk around or run around and it looks fine. But there's certain types of motion shots. Like, I guess, really fast motion or really, like, distant motion where the walk yeah. cycles are, are just, like, two frames. They're either two frames or the problem with this one uh, here is the the Glimmer and Adora are running really fast, and their heads are just completely static. Yeah, it's like their their upper their upper torso, like their chest and their their heads are completely static, and they their face expression is also really static. Especially Adora's, who just kind of has like a trapezoid mouth or like a scalene triangle <laughs> mouth a little bit. It's It is a hilarious like two seconds of animation it's yeah it's it's really good it's really good um (laughs) which you know and then then the episode ends here with a uh with uh adora and glimmer getting on the skiff and you know everyone's happy and it's like and dora realizes hey wait where's entrapta and now suddenly suddenly everyone's very sad and she's not 100 percent understanding what's going on and they're like oh well yeah entrapta is is gone she's she didn't make it and you know Dora's like oh we gotta go back we gotta save her and it's like no she's dead like yeah, she's, she's really she's gone. very very dead and you get the the very dramatic like moment everyone's starting to cry and then Adora drops to her knees and drops out of She-Ra and like it's it's a it's a very emotional just like hard cut moment um ending to the to the episode 
and um yeah i always respect it a lot when shows like this decide to end on a very very down note yeah Um, it's it's really good and also i mean it's also just a good setup for the next episode right like our heroes are at a very very low point you kind of want to see what happens next how do they where do they go from here it's it's a good setup and it's also just really like thematic it's a very dramatic it's very thematic it's very um it's just good yeah i want to uh talk a little bit about one of well i don't i guess cora isn't really one of the show's contemporaries but it's more like one of the show's predecessors because cora ended in 2014 i believe mm-hmm. uh and this show started in 2018 um but the best season of cora there is no argument here the best season of cora is season three they have the best villains they it has a very fun season there's the least mako uh you get on-screen regicide um it's great just and a fun, just a fun time it's a really fun time and the end to that season always always stuck with me i guess spoilers for cora but um like she has this huge battle at the end where someone has they've they've like bended mercury into her and attempt to poison her while she's in the avatar state uh to like break the cycle and like she has this huge fight with the main villain uh and eventually beats him but like uh, after she comes down from the avatar sh- state she realizes that she like can't move her legs like the mercury has has, has racked uh wrought more damage on her body than she thought and so the the end of that season is kind of this uh juxtaposition of one of the, the Janora getting like her air tattoo and, and becoming a a master an air bending master and i always remember the the final shot of the the third season of the fun avatar sequel Korra is Korra like just sort of silently crying as it slowly zooms in on her face and that's just where it, it just cuts to black on that expression that's and like, i watched it i was like wow yeah that sounds quite powerful actually i haven't <laughs> actually haven't, haven't seen uh cora but that sounds quite good we should watch cora sometime it's it's a flawed show but it's very fun I, um, i've been meaning to we should get around to that yeah and so like i've always enjoyed when uh, a series has enough faith in its audience and faith in itself to end on a note like that uh either an episode or a season yeah for sure for sure it's uh it's uh, a good it's a good way to it's a good way to set things up and it's a good emotional moment right like after this full of uh, forward momentum and action we have to take a moment to wind down and set up tension for the next episode yeah it's a moment Um, to give everyone pause but with that i think we finished our trip through no princess left behind um no questions this week listen i know you're out there i know you're listening to this hey hey i know you're out there put some stuff in our curious cat yeah next time huh let's get some let's get some questions they don't even have to be serious questions you know, just we did. We did. We talked anything. about uh, we talked about jock jams. You know. Yeah. 
Like, anything that comes into your head, any thought that rolls in unbidden about Shira, just drop it in there and we'll talk about it. Um, and where can you find our curious cat? Well, that would be on our Twitter, at Podcast of Power. Uh, we put up question posts. You can find new episode posts. That's pretty much all we do there for now, but I don't know. Maybe something else in the future. Uh, if you do not use Twitter, uh, we are also on Tumblr at podofpower.tumblr.com. Um, that's mostly just used for question uh, for, for episode posting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a Gmail if you would like to send in a some sort of screed that won't fit into the uh, curious cat or Twitter character limit. That would be podofpower at gmail.com. Plenty of ways to get into contact with us. So many ways, and so much room for fun questions. But with that, I think we have... It's time to sort of uh, mosey on down to the spoiler zone. Yes. Uh, For everyone who is not going to be joining us, we'll catch you on the flip side. Catch you later. So, this episode isn't really a a big drama spoiler episode. There's not a lot to talk about here. No, not an enormous amount, but there are a couple of things. Um, Entrapta and her role in the the Fright Zone kind of comes to mind here, of course, because this is the the start of the Super Pal Trio um, arc, you know? Right. Entrapta, not dead. She uh, stunts her way into a vent right before the fire hits. Yeah, um, I gotta course, say, so in- I gotta say, um, looking back on this episode, because um, like they they do make a deal out of how like you know Entrapta was definitely not dead and that her friends could have came back and you know looked for her and tried to save her and whatever. But to be fair, like that's a pretty brutal execution scene. Like, right? There's there's no indication whatsoever that's that she could possibly survive that like i think definitely part of that is katra just sort of convincing her that they weren't coming back after they capture her like entrapta could have sent out a signal or something while she was trapped there uh in fact i think she was working on it but like katra makes sure like oh well i mean they leave people behind all the time that's what she does she like she's you know she's becoming shadow weaver she's emotionally manipulating people i think that season is sort of the start of her doing that right yeah that's when catcher really starts to kind of like pick up more of those like more subtleties in in being a villain like she starts to really grab like some of what shadow weaver's been teaching um not necessarily through lessons but more through life experience through life experience and also through like kind of supplanting her like replacing her role right it's um yeah and trapta is of course she was a villain in the original she-ra um and so i think for some people seeing her introduced as one of the princesses might have thrown someone for a loop but 
uh, for the most part in this show, she is on the Horde's side, nominally. Mm-hmm. I would not call her a villain, I don't think. Yeah, I would... The word that comes to mind, I think, a little bit is like... I was going to say anti-hero, but that's not really what an anti-hero is. I guess she's just the antagonist, really. She's a wild card. She's sort of a a more neutral party among the villainous faction. Like, I don't really count Scorpia as much of a villain either. That's true. Scorpia is kind of just a victim of circumstance in a lot of ways. All of the Horde is, really, but, uh, yeah, yeah, especially her. And so, yeah, her arc with the Horde is very interesting because, of course, that's where she meets Hordak. That's where she sort of really gets to dig into the first one's tech and make huge advances that, that make her a very useful member of the team in season five. It's a, it's a great arc that we will be expanding on very shortly. I think she, she shows back up uh, in the next episode, but one thing I did want to talk about is like, there aren't a lot of character deaths in this show. No, there really aren't. There are three. Um, that I can think of. There is Angela, who is sort of... That one, it's effectively a character death. Yeah. Even if technically she's not dead, it's a character death. Yeah, like, she doesn't die strictly, and she is, you know, she's referred to as an angelic being, so I assume that she's, like, immortal. Um, so she's probably not dead being stuck inside of a portal dimension, um, trapped forever, but yeah, like effectively, that's a death. So like maybe it's more closely hewn to like a Obi Wan situation without the sort of Force Ghost stuff. But like you know, yeah. it's it's effectively the same thing. Um, and then there is Shadow Weaver and Horde Prime in season five. Yes. Um, and and they kind of just get exploded. Um, yeah, Shadow Weaver explodes, Horde Prime gets uh, exploded. And so, but like, the, 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 the cause of bringing this up is that this show really does not run in uh, fake-out deaths very much. This is the only one. Um, which, like, is, which is quite nice, actually. I, I'm actually a really... I'm really harsh on fake out deaths. I think that Oh, they suck. I, I think that they can like I think that they're very, 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 very rarely used right. They're almost always used for shock value almost exclusively, and they are either one, immediately undermined, right? Like you'll have like the end episode bumper will be like you seeing them still alive. Um, which is which is completely like it makes the whole thing pointless um or it'll be like the 75th fake out death in a season and you'll be like oh well they're, of course they're not dead so you know the way that this this show does it is pretty good i mean we know that entrapped is okay in the next episode i'm pretty sure so it's not like it lasts right. very long but like you know they didn't they trusted the audience enough to not like inject like uh oh entrapped is okay like in the very last one second of the show you know right and i think even then like um there is a bit of dramatic irony for the rest of the season and and sort of the beginning of season two 
which is, I think, when Bo discovers some of Entrapta's tech in the Horde bots, where everyone else, the heroes, think she's dead, um, but the audience knows that she's not. Yeah, and that's that's always an interesting thing when they play off of that. Like, um, when the audience is aware of something and the, uh, the characters aren't, um, that creates a lot of tension. There's, like... Um, there is so there's there's like another quote and i guess i'm i'm just busting out some some film history quotes now uh, in this episode but um there's a bit that um uh hitchcock did at one point on camera and he was talking about more like in a horror sense but this idea of if you have a scene where a bunch of people are sitting around a table and a bomb goes off um and they all die um that's not really that tense and it doesn't like you know the audience didn't know there was a bomb it just kind of comes out of nowhere but if you set up the camera in such a way as that you can see the bomb the whole time but the characters don't know that's a really tense thing so you see that um kind of done a little bit with entrapta's tech not obviously in a horror sense but like in a just sort of this character thematic way and it's it's done really well i like it a lot uh, they actually do some more dramatic irony later uh, with Entrapta too, because she gets sent to Beast Island at the end of season three, um, and Catra and Scorpio are the only ones who know what actually happened. Uh, Hordak thinks she betrayed the uh, Horde and went back to the princesses. Mm-hmm. The heroes think that she's still with the Horde, and so no one goes to look for her because they think everything is just normal. Um, and only at the end of season four does Scorpio reveal, oh no, she's at the like most dangerous place in the world. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, okay. And uh, of course, we all know how uh, how Hordak handled that one. Uh, not well is the keyword. Yeah, that is. I think that is probably Catra's most high risk, high reward play she has ever done. That was frankly insane i don't think i wouldn't have done that no no i wouldn't have either um i mean she got out of it (laughs) barely yeah kind of took most of the freight zone with her yeah but we speaking of hordak though when we're talking about hordak we need to talk about uh the fright zone and why it's built like this yeah like the the airlock thing the weird fire airlock thing you know it seems really out of place it's a little out of place right like you know it's kind of a spaceship thing a little bit and i think that you know comes through because like you know we find out later of course the horde crash landed essentially like hordax i guess personal ship or whatever like crash landed into um etheria right on top of the you know the scorpion kingdom and um they uh you know hordak kind of just had to rebuild everything from the remains of his busted up you know ride and he's like and i think i think the idea of hordak being like you know of course he's a horde prime clone so what he knows of like architecture and like technology and like building things is almost entirely like for spacecraft and like space stations so he just he just made a ground spaceship (laughs) well the velvet glove has like 
95 airlocks, so I need at least seven. Yeah, I mean, we can't let any of that oxygen in. It's really important we keep that out. Well, that's how it goes, right? It's not the other way around. I, I always mix those two up. <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, the the sort of slow revelation of, oh, this is just, like, someone's crude reconstruction of an empire from, like, jagged, botched, half-remembered, rose-colored memories um, is seeded just in the sort of design and aesthetics of the Fright Zone, I think. Yeah, it's another one of those moments, I think, where just, like, the visual design of the show is used to, like, really illustrate, like, themes and concepts um, to the audience that, you know, it themes and concepts that, you know, certainly in season one you're gonna not get at all. But, you know, looking back on it and, like, looking at it later on in the show, you kind of, like, it comes through more, like, the design of it really does push the the concepts of like a, a crude almost like yeah almost like a child's interpretation of what an like an evil empire is you know like uh oh well we gotta have like big industrial smokestacks everywhere right like that's evil yeah let's put more of those in yeah, and it's like half of that might be because you you just don't have the access to the same level of technology mm-hmm. that Horde Prime does here on here on this backwater planet, um, and so yeah, it's it's just, it's just a great location and, and kind of a great characterization of the Fright Zone itself. Um, we need to finish this off on Shadow Weaver as we so often do. Yeah, it's kind of a tradition at this point. What's up with this memory thing, like? I I almost I I forget about this a lot because it never ever comes up again. But like, I've seen meta and posts about like this probably should have been explored a little bit more if they had more time because yeah. this is a big one. It is a big one, and like like I was bringing up before, like speculating like maybe maybe she's been doing this to Adora the whole time, just like. You know, that's why Adora is, like, the most oblivious person in the world to, like, all of this stuff that's going on. And um, something else, too, is there's actually a few lines way, way later, like, in Season 5, um, especially when she's talking to um, Castaspella, is she talks about um, how she never actually used mind control. She never used anything like that. Like, specifically the line Shadow Weaver has is she says that um, what she did was much more subtle than that, and she doesn't really explain what she means. You know, the assumption is, like, just psychological manipulation. But the mind-wiping thing kind of lends some credence to the idea that, well, maybe technically it wasn't mind control, but she probably was doing something fishy. Right, yeah, because they were talking about Micah. And I believe her when she says she didn't use any mind spells on Micah. Yeah. But, like... Her saying, my gifts are far subtler, clearly, yes, that is her bragging about how uh, good she is at manipulating people. Um, but I think you're right. I think it is perfectly within the realm of possibility for uh, her to have just been, like, 
nudging Adora's mind in the right direction from time to time without necessarily completely wiping out parts of it. Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems like pretty likely, all things considered, because at a certain point, it's like... At a certain point, it's like the Horde is kind of obvious, right? Like, there's there's layers to it that are... The propaganda of it falls apart really hard, really fast on, like, the smallest level of scrutiny. And, of course, we all know Adora doesn't exactly have a lot in the brain cell department. But, you know, she's not a total idiot, you know? She would pick up on this stuff over her entire, like childhood and young adult life right so yeah i'm i'm pretty firmly in the camp that there was probably some some mental shenanigans going on which you have to imagine she probably didn't bother with on katra because she just didn't really care as much um about steering her in the right direction or maybe she thought she was going the right direction anyway so it wasn't really needed Um, yeah so, I mean, even, you know, the idea of just sort of Catra seeing Adora constantly being redirected and, and, and manipulated quite literally by Shadow Weaver must not have been good either. No, yeah, not exactly good. It's, it's, I understand if, 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 I don't believe that they didn't think about this because the show is, is pretty thoughtfully constructed. There aren't mm-hmm. a whole lot of throwaway things here uh this one is just sort of like the big glaring exception of like well this is a big twist to throw in here at the end of this episode and never bring up again um what's up with that and like i think one of the reasons is it's just sort of a kind of a darker route to take i think for shadow weaver yeah for um, sure for a character who conceivably is on the hero's side for the rest of the show sort of sort of i feel like shadow weaver is always on shadow weaver's side you know no for regardless sure. of like, what side she's actually on it's always about right. her i mean i say that but also they definitely show her just flat out torturing glimmer and all that and you know all of the other stuff she's done so it's not like this would have been too far beyond the pale but i think either they didn't have the time or they just didn't really want to get too deep in that because that's a slippery slope you can fall down and it's also a sort of crutch you can fall back on in the wrong uh situations like if you can just have a character who can wipe people's memories it's a really easy get out of anything free card yeah that's true right like it gives you it gives you the ability to like pull like some stuff that's not that interesting um to watch and it also like it gives you the ability to absolve people of their crimes by being like oh well they didn't know because they had their mind wiped at some point so you know it's it's kind of it's kind of a double-edged sword and it's a sword where both edges are being held by you it's yeah it's it's tricky and i think that's probably why they just decided this probably we shouldn't we we shouldn't uh explore this one again and i mean she can't pull it off for the rest of the series anyway she's so such a shadow of her former self that yeah got her that she uh there's really no way she would have been able to do that again 
um, in the state she's in for the rest of the series. Yeah. I mean, this is like, honestly, I think this episode might be the peak of her power, actually. Like, this might be at her most powerful. Like, this is the bit where we actually see her really, like, going off a little bit. So, I don't I don't know. Is there, is there another There's episode the beforehand? There's the no, there's the fight. I mean, there's in the shadows of Mysticor. That's a pretty good display of her powers mm-hmm. um, at a distance. But I think the display of her power in like combat. I think uh, episode twelve of season one is where she has that big fight with Catra, and then Catra like shatters the mask. Oh yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. That'll probably be like her most powerful combat moment but yeah like season one she is at her peak and she just kind of goes downhill from there really until the very end when she gets empowered by the heart but we can't talk about that episode yet we gotta we gotta put a moratorium on that episode yeah that's that the heart part one and two are on permanent moratorium until we get there because once again it's one of those those topics of conversation that we could go into for seven hours um and we're we're gonna have to do like a like like four or five part podcast for those. Yeah, but I'm actually really looking forward to the the, the rest of the season is is pretty great because uh, we're two episodes away from promise yes. promises, which is like I'm still working on my Shira power rankings both with season five and without season five. I think promises is my favorite non season five episode. Yeah, I um I want to rewatch it again before I make that decision because prom, uh, Princess Prom is still, uh, really really high up there for me. But Promises is very very strong. I mean, Princess Prom is a close number two. It's really it's really hard, but like Promises is a just a killer episode all the way through. It really really um, is. I look forward to it very much. But even before that, we actually have uh, the next episode. Episode ten is uh the beacon which has a whole lot of like character work i think this is where we get a lot of glimmer and angela a lot of like bow and adora stuff catcher stuff it's a really fun episode to just sort of wind down from this one i think this is the <laughs> that's the episode where entrapped is, keeps coming out of the cuffs i think yeah this is this is when entrapped is kind of like in the air vents kind of kind of just on the outskirts of everything um so that'll be a fun one but that'll be for next week Uh, until then we'll see you on the other side of podcast bondos see you then